just the one match this week, which was the midweek loss 2-1 at Ginningham. David wonders um, what the coaches are doing in training. He feels that most times mistakes should be recoverable by teammates reading the situation, covering space and reacting quickly. However, he feels we don't anticipate any danger, so any error could be made and we're slow to react and see the danger until it's far too late. Daz thought that the mistakes made by Offord and Adebisi should come with some consequences and that they need to be dropped for the next game. He also thought that Richards was poor for both goals. Captain Britain thought that Crew Alex are the gift that keeps on giving opposition done even after work for their goals. We just gift wrap them. Ewan thought Lee Bell hit the nail on his head in the interview. The last four goals we conceded have all been our own fault and are easily stoppable. Ewan thinks it's really hard to keep watching this team when the likelihood is you're going to lose and it's not going to be pretty. Pete simply thought progressive football with an applause emoticon. Uh, Robert thought Beadle is available and we get at least a point. He feels that Richards is not up to this level. Anton Vucevic thought that Cruz schoolboy defending is shameful and embarrassing. Tim T thought there was a depleted squad, but like Bell said in his interview, there were still 11 pros on the pitch and only one out of position. So why shouldn't we be fighting to win the game in that case? Brad Budden thought that Bell can't take the blame for two individual mistakes for the goals, but Brad still questions whether he deserves Summer to get things right. Trevor Griffiths thought that if you defend like we did, then you deserve absolutely nothing. Trevor feels the game was very winnable, but he's not really sure if crew know how to win. Final comment goes to Andy O'Neill, and it's quite simply, roll up, roll up, get your season tickets. Hello, welcome to the Railway Men podcast. Uh, Stu is unavailable for selection once again this week, so I'm stepping back into the hot seat. And we do have a slightly different pod this week. We just have the one game to cover, uh, and that was the midweek defeat at Gillingham. Obviously, there was no Saturday game, so we have arranged um, for a special guest star to pop up later on in the show, but more about them once we get there. Until we get there... Uh, we're not going to have to make do because we've got our usual esteemed panel of uh, of Crew Alex supporting legends. Um, I'm back on comfortable ground with what probably promises to be a fairly depressing pod today. We have Mark Bertels. <laughs> Hello. Uh, Aaron Lewis. Hi, thanks for having me. Not a problem. I'm back in tandem with his favourite pod host, Alex Irani. Hello, Steve. How are we doing? Very well, thank you. Okay, on to Gillingham then. Um, so we were all expecting it. We knew the team would be, shall we say, not the strongest. But when we saw it, there was no subkeeper. There was a horror show of a midfield, not even a full bench. Is that one of the weakest lineups we've seen for some time, Mark? Uh, I think it's got to be. Um, you know, in in defence, there was uh, in defence of the manager. I mean, there was very little that he, he could play with. If you looked at the substitutes bench, I think that's probably, with the exception of uh, Courtney Baker Richardson, the youngest I've ever seen. Um, 
the only thing that I sort of had issue with, but it, this is with hindsight, and it's you know it's easy to say afterwards. I I wrote in the match report I did that I don't see um, Regan Griffiths and David and Moo as long term pieces of the crew Alex puzzle going forward. I wouldn't want to see both of those next season, um, and hopefully we won't. I mean, we won't see a Moo, I don't think, and I'm not sure Griffiths has got has he got a year left, something like that. But I'd hope we'd be like looking to move him on. So I, I would have preferred to have lost 2-1 and played to have our own kids because there would have seemed some kind of point in that. Um, but again, that's with hindsight. And uh, the team that he selected, I think, was probably about the the strongest, in inverted commas, that he could put on the pitch. Gillingham may have been beneath us, but they are one of the form teams of the division since January. Um, and I think many, when we saw that starting eleven. And as Mark suggests, it was probably the best that Lee Bell could, could put out there. I think many of us saw a bit of a drubbing. But the first half didn't really work out that way, did it, Alex? No, I, I thought we shaded the first half, actually. I mean, it was lacking in quality. No side was particularly good, but we were the better of the two sides. I thought Adji uh, put it in the bottom corner, that strike where he just dragged it past the post. And then there was a set piece where Nevitt got his head on it. And it was like he almost headed it at the keeper rather than looking to head it back across the box. But we, we kept them at arm's length. Um, so, yeah, there was nothing really to, 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 that particularly concerned me because you did look at the Gillingham side. And as you said, they're a form team. They spent a lot of money in January. They got Hawkins, they got Lapsley, they got Tom Nichols, just to name a few. So it was a it's a seasoned League Two side with, with, with some good players there. Um, but they, they didn't really threaten. So I was I was relatively content at half time. So as the only concern was you like, well, you've shaded the half and you haven't got anything to show for it. Are you going to be able to maintain that 45 more minutes? My uh, my view on it was slightly different, I think, actually, because I kind of I mean, I, I agree with everything you said about the first half, to be fair. But going into the game, I mean, this was prior to seeing the teams announced and everything. I'd looked at their fixtures. and I think they hadn't scored in. I want I think it's like four of the last five before Tuesday night. Um, so I, I mean, to be fair, I'm also very aware of our shortcomings, but I was banking on a draw, to be honest. I thought it probably got nil-nil written all over it. And then I watched the first half and I thought, yeah, that's about what I expected, really. I think we held our own, but again, didn't manage to score because that's what we've done quite a lot. We weren't creative enough. We weren't, you know, didn't make enough chances and stuff like that. But then we held them off pretty well, I thought. So that was my view on the first half. Really? I think the first half was a bit of a non-event. There was one uh, cross where uh, Dave Richard showed his frailties. He looked like he was caught way out of position. But um, pleased to get to half-time at nil-nil, Mark? Yeah, of course, away from home. Um, and I can only echo, really, what's been said. You know, neither goalkeeper, I don't think, made a save of note in the first half. Um, and crew just about shaded it. You know, I remember um, there was a a ball that was whizzed across the penalty area that was just begging for somebody to be on the end of, and, and it missed everybody. And the chance that Dan Adji um, just put wide, and I think the keeper was beaten. Um, there was an early header for Nevitt that he couldn't get any power behind. So we probably shaded it in terms of chances in the first half. Um, but having said that, yeah, at nil-nil at half-time away at Gillingham. Um, I was happy enough with that, yes, especially given the team that was out. So second half begins, and I thought we we had the upper hand, but as ever this season, we played some pretty football around the halfway line, but there was no kind of cutting edge. And we didn't really look in any danger until a kind of half-hearted ball through fell to Rio, 
Um, Aaron, do you want to talk us through the series of unfortunate events that followed? Yeah, ish. Yeah, I mean, I don't really know what's gone on there because it's it's a bizarre sort of half clearance that Rio's not put his foot through, or he's. I really don't know what he's seen or what he's if he's miskicked it or what, but it falls right to their their player, um, and all of a sudden they've got an overload because they've got players steaming forward. He cuts inside and, and plays it, and then it's a it's a one on one really that. I mean, you can kind of point fingers and say perhaps Richard should have done better on the shot, but it's it's a tough one from that close in, I think, really. And I'm being generous, maybe. But, uh, yeah, that's all she wrote, 1-0. I think the Richard's criticism for that goal, and whenever we can see the goal, there does seem to be a criticism of Dave Richards. Rio, the ball is rolling. Like, no one is near it. If Beadle's in goal, Rio's leaving that and Beadle's coming and picking it up. The fact that Beadle wasn't in goal, Rio shat himself. Sorry, swear counts up already. Although, does that count? I don't, th- I don't think shat counts. I think that's okay. fine. We're okay. Rio shat himself, then scuffed his clearance. Well, if it didn't count, why wouldn't I say it again? <laughs> <laughs> um, scuffed his clearance. And to be fair, you, you can't really do much because everyone was out of position, not expecting the ball to get clear to that bloke there. It is a good cross to the back stick. He takes out the, the defense wasn't in a position to defend the cross anyway, but he completely took him out of the game. And the fella just come onto it and tucked it away nicely. But like I said, if Beadle was in goal, you can guarantee that Rio would have just let that roll through. Beadle would have been five yards further out of his goal, so he could have just ambled up and picked the ball up. But Richards was glued to his line and they just didn't trust him to come and claim it. People know, don't they, um, who follow this podcast that the podcast sponsors Rio Adebisi. Um, and he was kind enough to come on to the um, podcast at the beginning of the season. And I remember Stu <clears throat> asking him how he thought that he compared to Harry Pickering. And Rio said that he thought he was a bit stronger and he was a bit quicker and he had the potential to be better. Um, Rio, you don't. You, you, you're just terrible at the moment. And I think you need to forget all about that kind of thing. Um, get your head down, concentrate on your game. You had your arse handed to you. Uh, the last home game by um, it was the wing we was up against that just kept Bolton. leaving him behind. Lewis Bolton, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, he's not been very good for a while. Um, I don't think he offers enough going forward, and he's too easily beaten at the back. So um, I don't know. Before, I'm he's, gonna... he's, before he's able to be mentioned in the same breath as Harry Pickering, I think um, he's got a lot of catching up to do. I think with Rio, bizarrely, earlier on in this season, I thought we needed more from him going forward. I thought defensively he looked quite good. And actually, the roles have sort of reversed, whereas defensive work is now lacking. But going forward, he's been a threat. He obviously got on the end of one at Rochdale um, to score. He hit the bar on Tuesday when he marauded forward. It was a really good run. And how he's carrying the ball out, he's now driving forward. He's added that to his game because I always thought you're not getting enough from him in the offensive sense. But it's been at the detriment from his defensive work. I was like, if we can find a way to piece it together you got a good fullback there. I think that there's plenty of things wrong with, with Crew Alexandria at this moment in time. I will say Rio Adebisi is not one of them. If you're stuck with Rio all season, it's fine. It's not a problem. I'll be honest as well. It's, it feels like we've gone from early in the season, obviously we knew uh, right at the very start of the season, he was out injured, wasn't he? And we had Zach Williams playing there, who we thought, you know, he that was where he wanted to play and everything as, as far as we know. Um and now we're kind of looking at it and thinking, well, Zach Williams actually looks more of a centre half when he's fit again, where we've already got two or three good players. Uh, well, good again. 
it's hard to say good after Tuesday night, but good players. Um, and then, yeah, it, it kind of, and Rio's out of, out of form, I think is probably what I'd say for him at the minute. Because I, I still don't think he's a bad player. I still think he's shown enough flashes, just not any time recently that, that he can be a, a decent fullback. Um, but it does feel at the minute like we're, we're a little bit struggling at that position. Do we think maybe there's a lack of communication between him and Dave Richards, the goal? Because I've rewatched it and there is a look from Rio. Um, again, do we think Beadle communicates that more effectively? Probably. Probably part of a bigger problem, isn't it? Um, that the back four don't feel assured when he's behind them. We do manage to equalise. And Alex has already kind of mentioned it because the... Uh, the goal actually comes from the corner that is conceded from Rio's um, marauding run. I'll steal Alex's phrase there forward when it bounces off the bar and they head it out for a corner. Um, and there's a bit of ping pong. And I think it's, uh, it might be Nevitt actually that, that, that plays it square. And then utterly, last time I was on this pod as a, as a panelist, I uttered the phrase ship pinger, which got me in a little bit of trouble. But I actually think what Callum Ainley unleashed there is the absolute dictionary definition of a shit pinger that arrowed into that top corner. Um, Alex, talk us through that goal. It was a cracker because where we were sat, uh, we were like in the corner, so we weren't behind the goal. And it was directly in front of where I was, so you could see it. The ball actually skipped up. So when he went to take the shot, you were expecting this to end up in Raynham. The fact that he's managed to get on top of the bounce and... I, like you said, arrow it into the top corner was an absolutely super finish. I mean, we were talking about the goal of the season contenders. I, I, I've got to be honest, the technique he showed on display with that strike, I think that's the best. I think just got my thunder. I, th- I agree. I think of I, all the wonder goals we scored, that's probably the best. Yeah. The technique on it is honestly sublime. And you see that and you just think, it's a footballer there. Why the hell have this football club not got it out of him? I think I might be able to one-up you on the praise for it because uh, those of us that spend too much time online will have probably seen tweet doing the rounds this week. It's Nick Powell's birthday, or had been in the week, um, so a lot of the retweets of his goal at Wembley um, were shown around, and I think it's very, very reminiscent of that. It's kind of got that similar sort of uh, swerve to it. Now, the main difference being that was... Uh, at Wembley to gain us promotion and that uh, this goal was in a 2-1 defeat at Gillingham on a Tuesday night. Um, you know, it's kind of the levels of difference there, but I think it, it did it seem very reminiscent of that goal to me when I saw it. When you say, Alex, that um, there's a footballer in there and why have Alex not managed to get it out of him? It's not like he's not had the chance though, is it? No. no chance it... after chance and this season he's played more or less always in his favourite role. Yeah, there's there's an element of there's some onus and responsibility on Callum for not hitting levels that he should have done, uh, and I think there'll be some regret and disappointment that the club haven't got more out of him. I think it would have been interesting if Ainley was given a run in the team when we had that bloody good side in a ten row instead of Finney, and he played a prolonged period of games in there. It'd have been interesting to see what sort of output we'd have got because in a, in in this team they're not great. If you'd have put him in a good team around good players, it'd be interesting what output you've got. But he couldn't get in the side. Finney was scoring goals at the time, so there's not really much you can argue about. Um, I mean, his contract's up in the summer. I think for his sec, he needs to leave. Um, I was just going to say, Steve, can I fin- pinch your thunder here? Like, you probably answered it now, but would you keep him this summer? I wouldn't, personally. I wouldn't offer him a contract. I, I, I think there's the club is still going through this. They need to ship out all the characters that have been associated with the past couple of years. Unfortunately, Callum Ainley has been central to that. So if you've got the opportunity to move them on, 
then I would take the opportunity, which is a shame because I'm a Calamani fan. Uh, I think he's I think he's a good football. I think there's a player there. We've just not got it out of him. I think it's in everyone's interest that we depart on good terms. Hopefully he gets another football league club and hopefully he finds himself, you know, showing the the promise he showed at 17, 18, he finally delivers on it. You can absolutely see him like double digits, goals and assists in like the National League or something next year, can't you? Yeah, I do wonder whether he will get a football league club. If he doesn't, I suspect the non-league club he'll he'll end up where it might be um, one where Josh, a certain Josh Lundstrom is playing. Do you think he could almost do a, a Sarcevic in that he has to go a non-league to prove himself, does really well, and then comes by I mean, as much as a tosser that Sarcevic is, you can't argue that he's had a reasonably successful low-league career. Is he going to have to do something like that? No, I don't think so. I don't think he's got that driving mentality. I think I can't remember who it was. Possibly Russ uh, last year said one of the problems is he doesn't do anything with any real conviction, and that's right. Um, you know, if if he was of sort his mentality, I've forgotten how to say his name, Sarsovich's uh, mentality. <laughs> um, yeah, maybe, but I don't think he is. Um, he just seems a character where it either happens or it doesn't, and he's not fussed either way. Link, link to that, um, Alex, I'll come to you on this because you would have probably got a pretty close look. To me, it looked like his body language was of amazement that he'd actually done it. Did it Did it look that way um, when he came over celebrating? It was a bit of an odd celebration, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, I don't think it was amazement that he'd done it. I think it was almost like you all doubted me. It was like him silencing the doubters as such rather than <laughs> amazement. Um, and to be fair, out of the 72 fans that were there, you'd, you'd probably say there's probably several doubters in there. Um, but what's it? One spring doesn't make a swallow or whatever that statement is. Um, it's one goal. You've only scored a goal. You've scored two league goals all season. You play number 10. You want to be you want to be pushing for double figures. Like You can't give it the big end when you just ping one in. Like Do that regularly. Get us a goal every three games and then we can have a different conversation. It reminded me of when, um, I think it was last season, when Ollie Finney scored a tap-in from two yards against Charlton and proceeded to shush everybody. He's like, all right, steady on. <laughs> Score from two yards. Bit more, please. <laughs> okay, so from there, um, we look like we're in the ascendancy. We've got the we've got momentum. We're, we're pushing forward. It looks like, against all the odds with this scratch team, we could actually scrape a win. But sadly, another set of errors lead to a second goal for Gillingham. Mark, do you want to take up this sorry tale? Not really. Um, we'd got That's the momentum, hadn't we? We'd got the momentum. Um, and I, I was, I agree, I think, for a minute or two, you thought we could actually go on and win this. They, they look rattled. Um, it's a, a long, hopeful punt, directionless punt forward that gets one in the middle of the pitch. I think Regan Griffiths is beaten to a header. Um it drops nicely for Luke Offords to volley clear and he just shanks it. Um, it happens, but that's two in two games now for him. Um, it spins up in the air. He tries to win the header and doesn't. Um, but then I'm going to hang somebody else out to dry. Uh, Kelvin Meller, he just can't be asked to track his man. And he ends up scoring. He, he runs past him. So Kelvin Meller has time to see him go past him, makes no attempt to catch him whatsoever. Um and I think it's McDonald, isn't it? The score of the first just rolls it to the back post. And then, you know, it, it's not the cleanest of strikes and it's straight through the keeper, let's be honest. You know, a, a half-decent keeper in any kind of form um, maybe tips it round the post or even holds it. Um, but he gets, I don't know what he gets on it, but it's not enough. Um, 
And then, you know, the, all that momentum's gone, their fans are up, the team's up, and you just think, well, that's pretty much it now. It's also noticeable, you mentioned the aimless hoof. I'm afraid the aimless hoof does come from our friend we've given a bit of a kick into so far. It's Rio who launches the aimless clearance downfield, which is just an aimless punt. Um, uh, Aaron, does uh, Beadle save that? Probably. He's, he's a bigger lad, so he's got more of him to get in the way at least, so there's that. But he does feel like his, his sort of ability to get on the end of shots, we've seen it. I mean, he's, he's probably made the save of the season so far as well, hasn't he? Uh, earlier on in the season. So, um, yeah, I think he probably does. I think does, just like Mark said, does uh, Offord have sort of two bites at the apple as well and still manages not to get it cleared or... That's, that was right, wasn't it? Yeah. No, it's the header. It looks up it. in the air and he tries to stand his ground and gets out jumped. That was it, yeah. Because he chins it at first, doesn't he? Like that clearance, clearance that just loops straight up. So, I mean, like I mentioned before, we've we've got good defenders, but even when your good defenders are doing that, it shows how much in the chat we are. There's enough time and space, though, between where the goal scored from. Um, it happens. You know, players make mistakes. All right, it offered made a mistake, but that happens. Players shank balls all the time. We didn't react to it at all, did we? Um, it was far, far too easy for them to score. If you watch it back, have a look at Kelvin Mellor. He just can't be asked to, to run with his man. Yeah, it was just a category, a catalogue of shat, wasn't it? Just, you had offered, you had... And to be fair to Connor Thomas, he dives in, he feels like he's got to make the tackle. Um, I'm not really going to place any blame on him. Miller, as you've alluded to there, just didn't track his man. And what on earth is Dave Richards doing? Life. I was about to swear, I just managed to keep that, keep that one out, but I think people will get the gist of just... But he was we, already we, on his knees. I, exactly what I didn't get. I was like, what are you doing, mate? What are you doing there? Why are you there? Why are you not... I, I, I can't... I ain't got words for it. When you went probably, Aaron, I was like, that's the understatement of the year. I said it at the time, and I was like, and I was in the other corner. I was like, I think you should save that. And then you've watched it back. I was like, oh my god, that's even worse. Uh, and it's it feels like it's the Dave Richards pile on all the time. But make, I think that's make a possibly save and do us the favour, mate. We won't have to do this. Possibly what I'm trying to avoid because it feels like I spend half my time having to go at goalkeepers on this. But um, I, I, yeah, I, I just, there's not I, I, there's nothing else you can say, is there? Like it's. Yeah, it feels like uh, the communication and possibly the first one he could have got something on. on the, for the first one, there's communication and there's possibly he could have got something on the striker. And the second one, like you say, seems to just go through him like he's he's not there. However, we do manage. We don't we don't put much together in front of goal. Um, but Alex, you've had a good view of this one right at the death. Um, chance falls to Nevit inevitably, sadly, um, which seems to be the case at the moment. He fluffs it. Um, Holacek. Keeper makes a good save, Alex, yes? Yeah. Uh, Nevik should have scored. He sort of didn't really get it under control so we could have a clean strike at it. Um, I mean, are we going to get into a situation where Elliot Nevik is Basala Sambu just in a different body? No. I don't think so. I think he I brings mean, more. Um, I'm, just, I'm just putting the question out. It's a fair out. point. It's a fair point. And I've seen comments on social media saying what's the difference between the two. Um, I I see lots of differences. I think he's a better footballer. He's got a football brain. Um, he will get assists. He has got assists. Um, he's strong. He holds it up okay. The goals will come. They will. They'll come. The longer it goes on, obviously, without one, it becomes a thing. Then he starts snatching and 
um, missing even more. He needs one off his arse or his ankle or something uh, quickly. Um, but on, on the save from Holacek, that's the difference, isn't it? They've got a keeper that makes a, a, a really great save at the end, preserves I, the points for him. I thought Matters did really well as well because it was an awkward bounce. And yeah, he got yeah. right on top of it to get it on target because it was another one where he thought, these, you see that he gets sliced and they just go over the bar. He got right on top of it. It was really good finish. And he was just unlucky that it didn't nestle in the back of the net. Their keeper got across and made a save. But he shouldn't have had the chance. Never should have scored. But we, we're on. We're, we're potentially on. We had Basala Sambu from July to January, zero league goals. Replaced him with Elliot Nevitt. We're now in April with our next fixture. So January to April, zero league goals. Are we actually going to go through a season where our striker doesn't score a league goal? It'd be very funny if, if it did happen, but it would be something truly spectacular. Like, well, let's, you know, let's be honest, Alex. We are where we are in the position uh, in the league because of our our two lone goalkeepers, aren't we? It's not the other end of the pitch. Yeah, correct. And uh, you know the, the signings they've got right. McDonald's been been excellent when he's been when he's played. Uh, Mel has been fine. Davy Mel has been a problem. And then you've got the lone goalkeepers, which has actually meant you've had a relatively so, a solid back four. But when you work in these fine margins of having a good defence and relying on keeping it nil, you can see one goal. You you struggle because you're like we, we don't look like scoring two to win a game. What's your take on Offord through the season? I've seen quite a lot of criticism, um, which I put down to recency bias because he's had um, mistakes in the last two. But prior to that, he was in a surely a contender alongside McDonald mm. for player of the season. Yeah, I think what I just say about Offord is obviously the sending off against Carlisle was unforgivable. Um, that was a bloke that didn't want to be playing football on New Year's Day and fancied the knees up. Which is good, to be fair, because last year when we had Burton on New Year's Day, he clearly did go out the night before and was an absolute <laughs> shambles on New Year's Day because he was still playing drunk. So at least he had the presence of mind to get suspended this time. Um, but Offord has been fine. I mean, there has been a couple of mistakes. The Northampton one, I'm not going to be too critical of. I think enough happened after him losing the ball that it shouldn't have ended up in the back of the net. The one on Tuesday was was poor. Um, I do wonder whether Offord's thinking, what am I doing here? Like, what am I doing at this football club still? Um, and uh, the, the, his contract's up in the summer, but Bell said they've got an option. So I think they'll extend the option and then look to try and move him on for some money. But who's going to pay money for a League Two centre-half of a side that's 19th in the league? Well, that's the thing, I think. If he'd have carried on playing how he had been playing in the first half of the season, I think you probably could have expected an offer to come in for him. I think we spoke about it on this podcast that we we kind of, you know, we're thinking he, he might go for a fee. Whereas, like you say, since... It all started with that. He got a suspension first for five yellows, I think, didn't he? And then he came back and it was immediately got the red. And then, yeah, and it feels like it's just been a bit of a spiral since then, to be fair. It's come at the wrong time as well, really, hasn't it? Because I think you're right. I think we'll activate that extra year. Um, but then it looks like another one of our better academy graduates is going to come through the system and leave for nothing. So that's that's the end of the scoring, but it's not the end of the controversy. Um, and those of you who kind of follow things on social media may have seen there's been a bit of a fallout with some Gillingham substitutions that took place. Alex, explain to the listener what, what has gone wrong here and, and what may be the possible repercussions. Uh, the possible repercussions I'll leave for Mark or someone else who might know them better than I do. What I do know about the substitutions is you can only have three windows to make substitutes. So during the break of play, you can only have three substitute windows and, and half time doesn't count. Gillingham made a sub, uh, made had made two sets of subs already. And in the 90th minute, they'd ready two players to come on. For whatever reason, one of the players came on, 
the ref then restarted the game. The other bloke was still stood on the sideline. And then the next time the ball went out of play, the second player was brought on. Now, that then meant that Gillingham had four substitute windows as opposed to the three that you're permitted. So you can make a maximum of five subs, but only across three windows. They use the fourth window, which is against the rules. Now, what the repercussions and ramifications will be, I don't know. Did it materially impact the result? In my opinion, no. Um, but rules are rules. I don't know. I don't know how they're upheld. Yeah, I don't know what the, the possible ramifications are going to be. Um, like you say, it didn't seem to affect the result because it was end of the game. We didn't seem like they made it any great inroads with the players. And like you say, the, the player was seemingly ready to come on and the ref just carried on the game. So it, it feels harsh at the end of the day, as a not as a crew fan kind of looking at it, to say that they would get uh, reprimanded for this. But at the same time, rules are rules. The EFL can't be seen to be just ignoring their rules because it seemed like it didn't matter. So I would imagine it feels like to me there should be some kind of punishment coming down, or whether it's just a fine or something like that, or whether there's actually some kind of points deduction. I don't I don't know. I'd be I'd be interested it'd be something that I'd be interested in following and I hope it doesn't get swept under the rug. Well it can't get swept under the rug really because if it does then people will be exploiting the rule. And then pointing to that game and saying, well, they got away with it. Sets a precedent, doesn't it? Yeah, and I'm pretty sure that the EFL don't want that. Um, I mean, it may have affected the game because one thing that I was uh, that I picked up on was that there was um, there was six sub slots altogether, three goals, one red card, one yellow card. All of that mess around that the fourth official balls in that up. Um, and there was only four minutes added on at the end, which seems um, the maths doesn't add up, does it? Um, and that was, you know, we we you could argue we were in the ascendancy in, at the end because Holacek's just missed that chance. Um, I'm not. What, what worries me, I think, is the wall of silence since you know it, we've, there's been nothing anywhere that unless I've missed it, and that feels to me like it's going to get swept under the carpet. I think because it's just crew versus. Gillingham and uh, it's not Man United Liverpool. So should we, and I've seen some interesting responses to this, should we be pleased or satisfied that a, a patched up team lost narrowly to an informed team who, who let's be honest are probably going to be up there maybe among the contenders next year with, with the players they've had brought in or should we be frustrated and disappointed that once again we've rolled over due to some um, some poor individual errors I'm just going to throw it out there to the three of you. What's what's your take on on the Tuesday night result? I think there's there's mixed feelings because I actually think on the whole the performance was okay, and like you said, it was a patchwork side. Uh, you got eleven men out there; they put in a shift. And to be fair, one thing I will say to Lebo is like it's almost like when he's had these patchwork sides, he's sort of managed to get a performance out of them that's sort of respectable. Thinking, you know, Tranmere on New Year's Day when he when he put that team sheet out, everyone thought, "What on earth is going on here?" And then they went on and won. And it was similar with Tuesday where they they, they put in a shift. Um, the annoying thing is they're almost, they've done the hard bits, the, the simple bits like clearing the ball when you're not under pressure um, has cost us. So that's where I suppose the frustration is. It's all well and good if you were to look at it and see that team and say, before the game, oh, you're only going to lose 2-1. You'd be like, well, yeah, based on things, that, that's probably not a bad result. But having actually watched that game unfold, you know, there's it's tinged with disappointment. There is a little bit for me. I've uh, I'm pretty much in agreement with you, Alex. And 
I know I mentioned it before that I thought it was going to be look like a nil-nil to me because they didn't look like a team who could score. And granted, if we don't hand them two golden opportunities, maybe they don't. But then equally, you can say, well, maybe if Callum Ainley doesn't pull out an absolute stunner from miles out, then we aren't going to score either. So then it is nil. And that does feel a little bit like, you know, apart from that, Mrs. Lincoln, how was the play kind of talk? But uh, it, it did feel like a team, two fairly evenly matched teams. Um, and... Given the side we put out, we're missing three pretty, well, two, two and a half pretty key players there from the season. Um, it's probably not the worst thing in the world. In isolation against some other performances this season, it was by no means the worst. However, um, you can't overlook the fact that in the last three games, we're making excuses up for them. It's like, well, Stephen is your second in the league, so a 1-0 defeat's not that bad. Northampton are pushing for the playoffs, so a 1-0 defeat's not that bad. It's a makeshift side, um, and apart from the mistakes, we get a win, so it's not that bad of a result. I, I'm a bit, I'm getting a bit fed up of that now. You know, I, I think I'd sooner, this is a bold statement, but I think I'd sooner be on the wrong end of a, of a Salford game, a 4-3, but where we actually play some really exciting attacking football and enjoy watching the game... Um, as opposed to this sort of um, almost going out with the let's not lose first mentality. Um, and I think for me anyway, in the, in the last sort of uh, what's left now, is it eight or nine games? I want to see, um, I want to see a bit more of us trying to win games. I'm not, I'm not wholly convinced that we're hundred percent safe yet. I think there was where a point was closed up yesterday. So, you know, another win, I think, but I just want to see some, some excitement and, um, and walk away from the ground thinking that I enjoyed that like I did against Salford. And not just because we won, but because of how we played. Maybe the final word, Alex, I'll come to you. Connor Thomas, centre-half, something that you've mentioned on the pod before. Did okay, didn't he? I thought he was very good on Tuesday, actually. Um, he he just looks more comfortable there. Um, so, yeah, I don't know what they're going to do because we've got a plethora of centre-halves and no central midfielders. And he was bought in to sort of be that ball winning midfielder who could who could play who could play the ball. But no, he was good again actually. Uh credit where it's due. I think it probably speaks volumes on when we've we have mentioned all three of the other defenders that were playing for their screw up, shall we say. Um and we hadn't mentioned him at all, which probably is about the best thing you can say really. I mean, we haven't mentioned him because he didn't play, but Finnegan's a massive loss, isn't he? He's the um, he's been the difference in the last few weeks. He's that sort of link between the the defense and the attack. Um, and when he's not there, he leaves a gaping hole. I mean, obviously we're not going to be able to sign him, but that's got to be first on the shopping list, either a season long loan or try and find someone with that creative spark. I mean, Colkit's not going to do it. it it's um, he's he's another one that's just a a waste of a wage. He comes back and he gets fit and he plays a game, a game and a half, and he, he's out again, I think, isn't he now for a while? Does he does he ever get fit? That's my question on Colton. Well, that's a fair point. Yeah, that's a very fair point. Because like you say, he, he spends a long time out injured and then when he does seem to come on, he, he doesn't seem at it for me. Um, so yeah, I wonder if he is ever proper fully fit. It's quite sad really when the, the two key players for our season are an 18-year-old long goalkeeper and an 18-year-old midfielder. And we've got our own much-vaunted academy, but we're relying on young products from elsewhere. I think it says a lot, really, at this point in time. Agreed. 
Okay, um, next up for the Alex is Doncaster Rovers away on Saturday. I had a chat with a Doncaster fan um, to find out a little bit more about them before the fixture. Hi, I'm here with Daniel Neese, a Doncaster fan. Uh, hello, Daniel. Hi there, you okay? Yeah, not too bad, thank you. Um, so obviously, um, we meet Doncaster at the Keepmo um, on Saturday. Um, the last time we met was a 1-1 draw in December at Gresty Road. How things gone for Doncaster since that game? Um, that was Doncaster's first game under Danny Schofield. Um, so it kind of felt a bit like a sort of watershed moment for the season really that one um, I think it's fair to say it's been a mixed bag for um, Schofield since he's took over I think we have had some decent results and performances um, we got ourselves into a position where we thought we might have a late sort of charge for the playoffs but I think um, after winning three in a row we've gone on a run again of I think it's one win in the last eight so I think I was just looking at the table studying it and we're literally you know, the same points off six as we are six bottom. So, um, yeah, we're bang in the middle and bang average at the minute. So it could be um, a not exciting game. I don't know how the best way to put it, but um, I think it's two teams that are not going anywhere fast, isn't it, on paper? I mean, our two games last year, obviously the 1-1 draw, we had another 1-1 draw, didn't we, last season at Gresty Road, which was possibly one of the worst games of football I've ever seen. And then, of course, you, you your win um, saw the end of your place of uh, David Artel's reign last season. Um, but what, what changes has Schofield made since he came in? Yeah, I was going to say, actually, when I was looking into it, the games between ourselves do seem to have been quite significant, like in terms of, like, we got relegated, I think, a few years ago at Gresty Road. Um, like I say, last year, Richie Wellens went after we lost, I don't know if you call the 2-0 um, Papa John's trophy game. Um, right, yeah. Which of all the games to sack him after seemed a bit of an odd one. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, again, that was as bad as we'd been last season. Um, but like you say, David Artel went after the, the game here. And then, like you say, Schofield had his first game there. Um, I think it's fair to say we... We're just in a little bit of a, a mess at the minute. I think we went into the season, I think, with some hope, um, maybe some expectation in places. Um, Gary McSheffrey couldn't seem to get a style of play going at all. And Schofield's come in and tried to change it. So, I mean, I don't know if you saw the goals yesterday, but um, we are trying to play out from the back, which um, when the goalkeeper gives it to their centre-forward, unmarked on the penalty spot doesn't help but he is trying to I can see what he's trying to do you know playing out um, he's got a very strict sort of formation now that he's sticking to whether it's working or not and I think it felt to me when he came in like it was the first step of this is going to be a long term process and I for one thought it was going to take him quite a while to get this sort of style of play going and I think the slightly frustrating thing is it's got a bit worse as it's gone along. Like I think he actually started quite brightly, which I was surprised about because I thought it had taken quite a bit of time. But then the last few weeks, I mean, we have got, I think we had 10 players out at Crawley um, last Tuesday, um, including some of our better players and our top scorer. Um, 
and yesterday was just a you know sort of mix I mean Northampton weren't particularly great but just solid and organised and sort of brushed us aside um, and we're trying to play this football with 10 players injured that you know it's fair to say it probably wouldn't suit the squad if everyone was fit and he still needs to bring some more players in so I think yeah put on Twitter after the game yesterday if there was like a a curtain you could put a, over a football season that was big enough I think you'd just do that to us now and just say let's forget about it for a few weeks and try again next year but unfortunately we've still got eight games left and absolutely nothing to play for other than Schofield's sanity I think so I think you know it is important that we don't just lose game after game on this run in. I think for his own sake, because he's already coming under some pressure. But I think anyone who's watched us over the last couple of years will know it was going to be a big job trying to piece it back together. Do you think he'll be given the time? Is he the long-term solution? I think that's a good question. I mean, to me, I don't think we should have appointed him if we weren't prepared to give him time. I think um, James Coppinger taking over the role of you know, he's sort of like director of football. Not He hasn't got that title, but that's pretty much what he is. Um, and Schofield's been his first appointment. So that felt to me like a step away from the board making a outright decision on the manager. I mean, I'm sure they had a say in it, but it felt to me like Schofield had been picked by Coppinger um, to come in and try to change the style and the identity. Um, but it's fair to say I think people who go regularly, I mean, I try and defend what he's doing because I can sort of see what he's trying to do. But, you know, I think threats over natives are pretty restless. And I think already, you know, like after yesterday, conceding after 90 seconds, I think the atmosphere turned quite quickly and the post-match interview was quite frosty. I think um, Tom, who does it for Football Heaven, he actually asked some really probing questions. Um, but we seem to be stuck in this cycle of every now and again we have like a a bad game or I mean to me yesterday wasn't really a shock I mean Northampton came needing to win and okay it was quite routine for them but you know we lost to Bradford recently in a similar sort of game and I think teams at the top of this league are just better than us Um, but we seem to have this cycle of you know you get one of them games I think you probably had them yourselves where it feels worse than it is somehow and then there's a massive inquest and then nothing really changes until the next one and I think it's almost like got to be like he needs the time and we're going to have like I said I'm sure yourselves have been through the same way if you're trying to play football and it doesn't work it's a bad watch isn't it as well as a frustrating result so I think you know he needs the time and the backing and almost if we do have like a a horror show to almost say, well, that's going to happen now and again. Obviously, you've got to avoid having too many of them, but it just feels like we have these massive inquests every time we lose. Um, and even at Crawley in the week where we drew one each in the end, um, you know, I thought Crawley played pretty well. And I know they're struggling down the bottom, but I mean, I've just watched Forest Green and Chef Wednesday and you look at the tables and you think, well, that's going to be a walkover. But Forest Green played well and Wednesday didn't. And I, I just think we have to kind of accept that we're not playing particularly well. And, you know, whoever we're coming up against, 
you know, if they do, then we're vulnerable to to not winning. And we got the draw at Crawley. And again, there was quite a backlash to that. But again, I think that was a game we could have lost earlier in the year. So, I mean, it's kind of like small crumbs of comfort. Um, but I don't think we're going to get anywhere by sacking another manager or sort of holding these inquests every time we lose, if that makes sense. Yeah. From what you're saying about your style of playing form, it, it doesn't sound like Saturday's going to be a classic because we're one of the lowest scorers in the division, not in great form, haven't played much football and just try and just see games through and try and scrape a point seems to be a lot of our attitude. So I feel, I don't think there's going to be many goals at the keep mo- at the weekend, put it that way. I think, yeah, it's, I think looking at your season, I mean, well, all of the relegated teams, I mean, we're pretty close, aren't we, in the yeah. table? Um, I think the frustrating thing from our side has been, I mean, that was our 17th defeat yesterday. And um, the last 20 years, this is only our third season back at this level. Um, so obviously, I mean, I grew up watching us as a poor bottom division side, but a lot of the sort of modern generation of fans, this is the worst season they've ever seen. Um, and obviously losing around half your games, we've gone out of the cups at the first hurdle um, at each stage. And, you know, it has been difficult, but I still think if you look at our underlying stats, um, We've conceded the first goal in 23 games, including 12 out of 19 at home. So straight away, we give ourselves a mountain to climb most weeks. Um, we haven't lost when we've taken the lead. I think Crawley was the first game we hadn't won. So we'd won 12 out of 12 when we got the first goal. Um, but we've just won or lost. Like There's been very little in between. I think our goal difference is minus 12. So I think if you add it all up, I think we're quite lucky that we're not sort of further down. And actually, we are top of, I know it's not a great table, but the four teams that came down, if you just said to me at the start, we'd be the best of those four, I think I'd have actually been relatively optimistic. We might be a little bit better, but I mean, it's like Wimbledon. I think it came up during that game I've just watched. They've thrown away 30 points from winning positions. So... I don't know what the positive is. I actually think there have been signs that if we did get the first goal more, we look pretty good at sort of keeping the opposition out when we get ahead. I think it's when we go behind. We don't really look like scoring and teams like yesterday, they've got the job done after 90 seconds. I mean, I know they might have made a mistake or we might have nicked one, but I think Northampton just went, okay, then you can have the ball now and, are you going to score? And then we gave them a even dafter second goal than the first one, which totally killed it. But yeah, I think you're right. There's, I mean, we have been defensively quite poor, but equally, yeah, the, the games between us recently have been quite like big, haven't they? In a sense, yeah. it's been a, an outcome after the end of them. So I think on Saturday, I don't know, I, I assume you guys are thinking... You still need something. I mean, you should be all right. We you? should be all right. I think there's, I think there's a thought because the gap narrowed to ten points yesterday um, on on Saturday. I think there's a thought we need another victory to be safe. It looks like Rochdale have, have gone. There's still one spot left, so maybe one more win. But by the sound of it, that first goal on Saturday is going to be crucial. Yeah, I think. I mean, we didn't hold on at Crawley, but 
you know, once we do get ahead, I mean, we can keep the ball and we can defend in a fairly basic way. Um, it's whenever we're chasing the game, um, which seems to be a struggle. But I think, like you say, if you were looking at it from the outside in, you'd have it sort of nailed on for a sort of a nil-nil or a one each or something like that. But obviously, if you're coming and play like with a desperation to win, like Harrogate did recently, I think we are vulnerable. But equally, like you say, if we come out and actually start okay and score, it wouldn't surprise me if, if we won. So I, I don't think we're as as bad as it's made out, you know, if you scroll through social media. Um, we are still 12. Like, I mean, in a way, it is quite surprising there's 12 teams underneath us, but I think it could be a lot worse. And we've just got to get used to now this, you know, we've had a few good years higher up, but I think we're back to, to reality and there's no easy way out other than to try and stick with a manager and, and the plan over the long term. But I think if the if they don't support him and get the players that he needs in, it's just going to peter out to a sort of in an, in an inevitable conclusion. Um, but if he can get a few better players in and improve the style of play, there's no reason why next year we couldn't start afresh and be better. But I think, I don't know what you're finding, but this division seems a lot more competitive and better than the last couple of times we've been in it. I don't know. We thought we thought the standard was other than a handful of teams at the top, we thought the standard was quite was quite poor. But but then yeah. again, we we've been exceptionally poor throughout the season. You you kind of mentioned that you've got um, a lot of players out injured. Who should we be looking out for in terms of key players for Doncaster on Saturday? I think the player that's caught my eye a lot this year, for some reason, was left out yesterday, even though we've hardly got anyone fit. Um, Kyle Hurst is um, an attacking midfielder. Uh, Gary McSheffrey signed him from Birmingham, I think he was released from. And he's just been a real like bright spark in a struggling team. Um, unfortunately, the last few games, he's almost been running back towards his own goal, which kind of sums up the way we've been playing in a way, but he's a sort of player if you can get on the ball and running at the opposition. Um, he has been a bright spark. Um, and I think having Joseph Olawu back defensively, you know, he's, again, he's he's been injured most of the season, so he's still feeling his way back in, but um, he's another young player we got from Arsenal who looks capable of doing what Schofield wants and playing out from the back and both of those two are young players that have signed new contracts recently long-term ones so I'm quite surprised about that because I thought we might be vulnerable to losing both of them but I guess if they can see um, reason to sign for the next two or three seasons actually maybe that's showing that behind the scenes there is something building and hopefully you know he can get better players to help them along but you know players like uh, Biggins and Miller um, who have been really important players for his under Schofield I think they've both just been ruled out for the season and Keelan Lavery who deputised for Miller he went off so we were literally down to Kieran Agard as the only striker left at the end and he'd kind of been sort of left out of the squad completely up until recently and he's certainly not a, a lone striker. So 
yeah, like you're saying, it doesn't it doesn't bode well for goals, but you never know with us. Like you say, if we actually if we turn up and play like we're capable of, um, you know, we're not the worst side. But yeah, I think if you give most people the chance to sort of end the season now and just finish 12th, I think most people do that and happily not watch another minute of the eight remaining games. Because um, we've got a lot of games against, like yourselves, we've got all the teams almost between ourselves and yourselves, like Newport, mm-hmm. Colchester, Gillingham, all like, what do you call them? Like, I don't think the only team we've got really I think with much to play for is Stevenage where we go to I think everyone else are in this little block of teams between I think Harrogate are the lowest team we play so they really could all be sort of end of season sort of nothingy games or they're like I would concede I still think there are some teams who might think we just need one more result I think we definitely can't do anything either way so we could be ideal opposition for most teams in these coming weeks if we don't sort of go out and play better than we have been doing okay and you kind of already alluded to it um but score prediction for the game on saturday i think we've had a few like one alls haven't we yeah we have yeah um I don't know. I, I think it's a sort of game like we beat Wimbledon recently um, in a, you know a similar sort of game, two relegated sides. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if we won, but equally, if you come thinking we really need to win this and we play like we have been the last few weeks, it wouldn't surprise me if you if you don't nick it or a one each. Um, I know your I think your away form's not been. No. Great, but you're quite hard to beat, aren't you? So, yeah. but we don't draw many games. So, like you say, I think the first goal could be important. Um, if not, like you say, nil nil or one each, I think I'd probably go for. Okay. Daniel, thank you very much for your time. Good to catch up with you. You're welcome. Sorry, I'm not a bit more positive. But no, no, we're, you, we're <laughs> used to it this year. It's been a season of pain and anguish. Brilliant. Thanks a lot, mate. Okay, as I mentioned at the start of the pod, although there's no Saturday match this week, we are joined by a special guest. Um, He is 50% of the greatest broadcasting team on radio and I follow. It is Mr. Graham McGarry. Hello, Graham. Oh, well, welcome. What an introduction that is. I've got a lot to live up to now. Well, Graham, during lockdown, I spent a lot of time listening to the other commentary teams and can I honestly say some of them are, I know they're your colleagues at BBC, so you need to tread carefully, but they're pretty dreadful, some of them. Anyway, we'll move on swiftly before I get you in trouble. Um, <laughs> Graham, big question, first of all, uh, and then I'm going to hand over to Chaps because I'm sure they've got some stuff to ask you. Where do you think it's gone wrong this year? Oh, dear. It's interesting when, when I've gone through it, I've made a minus and a plus list. I bet you didn't think there'd be anything on the plus side, did you? Well, I've got a few things on the plus side for you. But this is just my quick sort of uh, summary of minuses for the season, which is unfortunate, really, because I didn't really expect it to be this difficult. But long-term injuries, never been able to feel the strongest 11 players, whether it was Alex Morris or Lee Bell, forced to make 
Too many team changes. Almost every game there. Small squad, left of short of options. Still unsure of the best system. Terrible away record. No win in nine. Only won two all season. Shocking home surface. Second lowest scorers in League Two with nine to play. And unfortunately, mistakes still at an alarming rate. On the plus side, two lone goalkeepers, Ryan Finnegan. Consistency from a few players, everybody won't agree. Kelvin Miller, Luke Hall, Dan Ajayi, Connor Thomas. And for me, without doubt, you can give it him now. Man of the season, Rob McDonald. Improvement in youngsters, Connor O'Reardon, Joel Taberner, Zach Williams. And finally, the emergence of Matthias Holacek. Those are the plus side. So you can take a look at that and digest it all. And perhaps that's why we're, you know, 19th in League Two and only just 10 points clear of the bottom two. Graham, you mentioned unsure on his best system. What do you think is our best way forward in terms of a system to play? Well, I think it's all down again. To, to who's been available to play, unfortunately. But if we got all the players fit, I think he's got to play a 4-3-3 formation because I think we have got, on paper, decent strikers at League Two level. But they haven't all been able to play. Uh, and the three midfield players, I don't think we've got four on the books. Again, I think we're lacking in numbers. But Ryan Finnegan's helped that, and I think we can find a three-man midfield. And on the defence, I think was the, the defenders that we've got on our books are the best defenders we, we had, we, we could play. Kelvin Meller, Ron McDonald, Luke Offord, and take your pick at left-back. That, that's what we've got. And, and, and that would be, for me, 4-3-3. Don't think we can... Uh, find wing-backs. Don't think we can find enough midfield players uh, to play in, the, in, a, in a four. So it, it's been very difficult, very, very difficult for, for, for them to, uh, to to get whatever they want. And for me, I'd go 4-3-3 because Dan Ajay, Baker Richardson and Chris Long uh, should be good enough. I mentioned Chris Long. Chris, Chris Long, Long stunned you then, didn't it? Christ, yeah, I forgot, I forgot he was alive. <laughs> One of the things I picked up on, Graham, um, you, I mean, the, the first two, I think it was the first two pluses you mentioned were uh, the, the lone goalkeepers and then with Ryan Finnegan as well. Is it a little bit of a worry for you that those are not our players? Um, or do you hope that maybe then that the recruitment team can kind of pick up on these players that we could get in future? I'll go with the second because okay. I think uh, I, uh, the reason being is I think every football club who, who takes loan players are, are in the same same boat really, uh, and who knows which way they're going to go. You know they could have been failures and we would have been moaning at the recruitment team. Uh, I think crew have got to improve on that, and I think they can improve, uh, but those players getting a chance at crew. We didn't know what Arthur Conquo was going to be like. A lot of recommendation came from, from within, but till he gets out on the, on the grass, we didn't know what he was going to be like. And we know now exactly what he is. We didn't know when we saw an 18 year old 
teenager who didn't look 18 that <laughs> came, came into our goal and didn't know how he was going to be. And now we do know. And the same with Ryan Finnegan. But recruitment has to be good. And we've got to keep improving on it. And we've got to keep at it. And we've got to move quicker. You know, I don't know what goes on at the moment in terms of where they are with these players for next season. Obviously, Premier League clubs usually keep all the players with them for pre-season and let them go off and uh, play in some tournaments or play some friendlies abroad. But I'd love to think that we were right at the top of the list at Brighton and Southampton to get those players back because I think that's where they are in their careers. I don't actually think they're ready yet to step up, but they can do a great job for crew. And especially when we're working on a on a shorter, on a smaller scale budget and a, and a smaller scale squad in numbers, that those are the players we want. And I hope that can continue. And I hope it's got, well, I think it's got to improve. We've also got to find better. Are we in danger, Graham, this summer, do you think? of you've, you've already said that he'd be your player of the season, Rob McDonald, he'd be mine as well. But are we in danger of losing him? this summer, by not offering him a contract, because it could be seen that he's blocking the pathway for Conor O'Reardon and Zach Williams, who both want to play centre-half. But me personally, I'd keep him because I think Luke Offred's got that option of an extension um, for one year, but I think he'll only stay for another year. I think we should keep uh, Rod McDonald personally, but I don't know what you think. Well, I agree with you on, on keeping Rod McDonald. I also think that uh, the time is ripe for Luke offered to move out. Yes, he has got a 12, well, the club has got a 12 month option on him. And I'm not knocking Luke Offer's attitude and application one bit. But how would he feel if he's going into an extra 12 months, knowing that he's going to go at the end of the season anyway? What would his application be like for crew? Would he, would he, should he be going and should he be somewhere else? And that would open the door up a little bit more for Zach Williams. And Conor are in. Plus, it also allows to keep Rod McDonald. So, I think that would be my answer to that. Is if somebody could come along and sort out a deal with the football club for all three parties, the player in Luke Offord, for Crew, and the club that was interested in, it would be the best thing because he's he's done his service. He's played his games. He's played. You Crew fans have seen him progress to where he is. Yeah, one or two things have gone wrong this season, but that's the learning curve. And, uh, you know, Rod McDonald, for, for, for where he's based and, and, and the wages that he, he commands, he's in the crew group. He's in the crew bracket. And if you've signed a player up for 12 months uh, and he becomes a player of the year and he's still available to sign for next year at a club like crew, I don't see why they're not moving. Now, if somebody comes along down the road 40 miles at Tranmere. I'm not saying they have, but it's to some other club that's going to offer him a big, big rise in terms of where he is in his career. Well, you can't blame him for taking it, but I think he'd be enjoying his football if he stayed at crew. He'd enjoy his football more if he stayed with the club. And I think that's how the club has to sell it and has to move and try to get him signed up. I think the majority of the fans would like to see him signed up. Graham, on your um, back four there, we, we've had a, a long conversation about him earlier in, in the pod today. Um, I noted that you didn't slot in Rio Adebisi <laughs> automatically as a left-back. Um, do you feel he's not maybe progressed as well as expected this year? Oh. 
He's a. I am. I didn't select him because the the that big word inconsistency is there, and what I, Dario always used to say: you've got to train and you've got to work and you've got to improve on your deficiencies, and then you get a better player. I've still seen the same mistakes from when he first started. I think he's got a lot of attributes. I think he's got a, a vision to go forward. I, th- I think he can play the game, but he does cost us goals. And it seems as though it's a, it's a hard for him to sort of uh, cut that out of his game. And we weren't sure whether Rio Adebisi was going to start the season at left-back or right-back. Uh, and uh, he's played a couple of games at right back. He's played a few games at wing back. So I, I, I need more from him. Uh, you know, people are people aren't convinced on Joel Tabernay yet, but I'm more convinced that Joel Tabernay is going to make it. I, I do think he'll make it. That's a different role. I know that. But when I look at him and put them together, I'm seeing progress from Joel Tabernay, and I've seen progress from Zach Williams. Although he's had his bit of in and out spell. Connor in. I'm seeing progress. Can't say too much about Holacek because I haven't seen enough of him. But for Rio, I want him to get there. I, th- I think he's got things that in his game that people look for. But if you're a defender, the first thing you've got to be doing is not making mistakes. And unfortunately, he's making just a few too many mistakes. Cuts that out of his game. He becomes a regular left-back at crew and a chance to push forward. It's going to have to be a quite a big summer, isn't it? I mean, we've already seen um, Finney go. Um, it looks like Billy Sass Davis is going to go. Um, I would imagine that um, Basala Sambu is going to go. I don't know where you stand on Chris Long, but I think he's too much of a risk. Um, and then, you know, we're looking at Griffiths. I would try and move on. I wouldn't keep David and move beyond whatever we signed him for, whether it was six months or whatever. Um, I think the manager's got to be... Um, ruthless this this uh, summer, don't you? And make some big calls about who stays and who goes. I mean, Ainley's another one. We've discussed him earlier. Uh, me personally, I'd be saying thanks and see you. Um, where, what do you think? Do you think it's going to have to be a really big summer? Massive. Massive rebuild has got to happen. And you're right with the word ruthless. The manager has to be ruthless. Perhaps the previous manager wasn't ruthless enough. That's why we've got a little bit of a problem with a lot of people on long-term contracts. Uh, the way that he decided that he wanted to give those people who he did long-term contracts. But the people at the top have got to come up with the goods and support the manager. Because it's horrible. I don't like bringing it up here because you supporters are fantastic. You've followed them for many, many years, all over the country, seen everything build up for under the Dario years to see where they are now. And it's a big concern, I think, for a lot of us who... And I'm not saying that the, the, the people who run the club don't see that either. It's a concern we're not halting the dreaded slide. And the dreaded slide was last year we were relegated easy. And this year we're going to be okay. But we're not going to be in a position where we thought we might be around about mid-table to just in the top half. We're going to be, unfortunately, in that 2019, 2021st position in the table. And those contracts are those players who are running out. There isn't going to be too many, I don't think, who could be knocking on the door and say they deserve a new one. And it's down to the manager then 
who's now reaching the stage of exactly the similar managerial record as when Alex Morris was given the job early at the end of last, last season. You know, he's played 23 games now. Lee Bell is the manager. Alex Morris had actually played 24. Bell's won six. Morris won five. Bell's drawn eight. Morris has drawn nine. Bell's lost nine. And Morris has lost ten. There's not much in, in that. But this is the board's time in the summer and the manager's time together to hopefully, nobody can predict what's going to happen with recruitment, no matter where you are, whatever level you are, you'll never know. But they've got to give it some hope that they can improve on the players. And I do think it's got to be a big, big rebuild. When you talk about us as fans, I don't know if you've seen the stat that's floating about, but we've actually been treated to 16 wins in 83 football matches. I saw it. And then you're asking people uh, any time now, actually, to uh, start purchasing early bird season tickets um, on the back of a market of 18 wins, uh, sorry, 16 wins in 83 games. It's um, it's not going to be easy to get people to part with the money, is it? Football's in your blood, though, you supporters. You always come back for more. That's the one real thing that, that, that you should be all proud of. Every football club, you always come back for more. Yes, it's a hard time. Living's a hard time. And entertainment is, uh, like a football match, is a dear hobby. But there they were, you know, the 70-odd who were at Gillingham, the 130-odd who were here, and the thousands who were there, and 1,800 who were there. And, and you're right. And, and, and But as long as the, 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 the leaders of the club are fair and open with you and talk about it and, and make it open and transparent, that's fine. Uh, I can understand why, you know, the, people might drop out because of what you said about the wins in 80-odd games. It's been horrendous, you know. They've only won nine games this season out of 37. In League Two, that's not good enough. Poor and should be doing better. That would be the report. But again, coming back to you, the supporters, at the end of the day, you're the ones that make the football club tick. No doubt about that. Graham, do you think... It's a loaded question, but I'll ask it. Do you think Lee Bell's the answer long-term? Long-term? Mm. I'm not going to give an answer long term because I, I want to I want to see it happen short term, and what I mean is I want to see improvement from him. I think it's been a very very difficult time. I'm not getting into any talk about you know how it was all appointed and all what went on and what people thought. They appointed him in the end, and that and now it's down to him and he knows it to make it a, a success for you and your your supporters, and hopefully. It will happen you know, for him. Uh, you know, we 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 can't uh, at the moment. He's just about doing surviving. He's just about surviving at the moment because the team's going to survive and it's going to be hopefully 10, 12 points clear by the by the end of the season. But then the the, the next question is uh, just on the short answer. If it didn't if it didn't work, well. He'll know. He knows the consequences. At the end of the day, every football manager knows their con- consequences. If you don't get it right after a certain time, when you've worn out probably the supporters and the people who are running the club, you'll lose your job. 
Well, 23 games played. I don't think Alex yet. Yeah, he's uh, he, he he he's in that position. So uh, for me, short term, let's see an improvement. Let's hope come whatever date they kick off, we see a, a proper improvement and, and we're going the right direction. That's the biggest concern for me is getting back on the right track. And we're not when on the say, right track at the moment. Sorry. When you say short term, um, obviously I, I'm, I'm still very much behind him, but I know and I'll acknowledge and, and own that I'm slightly biased because he's from where I live and I've known him for a long time. So I want him to do well. But there are people out there that are against him or against his appointment and not happy with what they're saying. Do you think he's got to now try and win some friends with the last sort of eight or nine games by, by just simply playing entertaining football and trying to win some games? He's got to win some games. Yeah. Forget attractive football. There might be... If if, if, he, if he doesn't stand up for his corner of the way he thinks he should go about it with this group of players to win games, he's going to be in, he's going to be in a little problem, isn't it? Because he's, he's become weaker. And he, he doesn't need that. He's been a strong... He's strong-willed. He's got strong character. Always had that. I've known him like you for, for, for his life. And he'll give everything for the football club to be a success. And that's what he should be allowed to do that. There shouldn't be anybody dipping in, thinking that they can uh, make it better by having their say. He can't go dipping into how the board of directors and the chairman run the football club, and he wouldn't want to. He's got to be left alone to get the football team winning some football games. It doesn't matter how. It's not helped by an horrendous playing surface at home. We know that. But it's not about making it look sexy football, as we used to use that word. Crew's not in a position. They're in League Two in the 19th position in the table. And between now and the end of the season, what you said, win some games, has got to be his priority. But Graham, just quickly, just picking up on something, and maybe I've, I've got the wrong end of the stick here. There was sort of an inference that you were saying people have got to let him get on to, to do the job. Is there people within the upper echelons of the club that are dipping their hand into first team affairs? Or is 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 there something going on there that you, that you know of? I wouldn't think so. I'd be very surprised. I've never known it to happen at any other managerial appointment that the football club's had while I've been there over 30-odd years. So I, I wouldn't see that. Uh, I, I think that the people who run the football club are all like you and I and everybody else that goes. Likes to have an opinion, likes to have a say. Think we know better than the manager. Might speak something out at the wrong t- time or the uh, the wrong place. But at the end of the day, I think I think I still believe that the manager picks the team, the manager picks the tactics, he picks the system, and he gets on with it. Now he might not like a little comment that might be made by people who might think they shouldn't be making it, but that's that's the game. That's the game we're in. I think at any football club, people like to have the say. I don't think anybody's giving any outside influence into, into Lee Bell's way that he's managing the team and picking the side. I'm pretty sure, and again, I, you know, I, don't, I don't know Alex, but I would think if, if, if that was happening, I think he'd walk away. I always always think back to Dario Graham, and um, you know, I know he was a one-off and um, an enigma, but 
he didn't care about outside noise. He didn't listen to anybody else. He was his own man. Um, and if he believed in something, he would go ahead with it. You know, you could shout and scream whatever you wanted at him, or you could have a conversation with him after the game or in the week, and he would always stand by what he believed. And I think that's what this management group, the, the manager on his own and the assistant and Kenny Lunch and whoever else is down there, has just got to block out all that outside noise and go with the convictions. Spot on, exactly right, and, and that's how I feel. It, it's got to happen, and the, if you want to be a success at any any sport or anything that you you get involved in, you have to be make the decisions yourself, and, and you back them. Listen, I've been in a situation many, many times with Daniel, and I've cringed at some of the things that he said about players, and it's gone public, but he didn't bother. He, he just got on with it, and it'd be the same old story. Then when he finishing it off. See you on Monday, lads. We're out on the training ground. We're off to work. And and, and that's how they've got to be. That he's got to be like that. You know, there's a lot. If you go through the football league now with the managers, there'll be a lot of people involved in jobs who are managers who we've probably never heard of up until the last year or so. And thinking, well, why have they appointed him? Who's he? Why has he got that job? What's he done to get that job? Well, that that's that's the that's the people who appoint them, and obviously, yeah, Lee Bell was in the house at the time, which is the way that they've always gone. But uh, there's a lot of clubs with uh, managers that people think shouldn't have the job, and they've got to put that away from them. Anything, any outside talk, you've got to get away from all that, and uh, just concentrate on you being the the number one, the boss. Maybe one final question from me, Graham, a bit more of a general one, um, which is what do you make of the standard of League Two and who's the best team that you've seen us come up against this season? Whew, I'd have to start thinking about who the best team is who we call up against because I think the standard's hopeless. <laughs> I don't think it's very good at all. And it, Listen, we've only got to look at the results that go on and different clubs on the day. They can uh, they can find a result and they can't then they go ten games without winning. And the same for many many other clubs like that. We found a little spot of form, didn't we? Thought that uh, we're going to be a top half table. Then bang bang bang, three defeats, and then we're looking at being a bottom five, bottom six table side. Who's the best team? Well, Lake Norrie have beaten us quite com- comfortably both games. They've been out in front all the way. And uh, I, I would say that they're, they're by far, by far the best team. Uh, you know, the others are all fighting for it. Surprise team for me. Well done to Carlisle that they've done exceptional uh, to be in the, in the in the mix for the for the automatic promotion place. Stevenage, what they are, how they how they managed, uh, and how how, how they organise themselves, been a hard team to beat. Uh, Northampton were nothing special, but know how to win football games, and that's where our downfall's been. So at the end of the day, I think the team that's going to win the league and beating Crew twice in the league as well, not not in the uh, not in the cup when Sambu had his day. Uh, it's got to be late Norrie for me. Any final questions from the panel for Graham? How much time do you think Lee Bell's got in terms of, you said you want to see an improvement, it'll get to the end of the season. Is it then reassess in September if we don't have a good start? You're a testing man, you are, Alex. Uh, 
Sports journalism degree, Graham. I'm rolling about the years. I'm sticking with him. I'm, I, I'm, I, I stick with the managers anyway, and uh, it's down to them then to uh, sort it out. Well, how long has he got? Well, he, he, he'll know that he gets the summer and he'll get two and a half, three to three months, uh, unless it's a dreadful opening month, he'll get to somewhere around about the middle of October towards the end of October when they'll they'll reassess it. So he knows. He, he's not he's not daft. He's been in that football club a long time. He knows how it works. But he's got to do it. At the end of the day, it's his livelihood. It's his living. Listen, he's not a... A Premier League player who's made Premier League wages. He's not been a Championship footballer who's made Championship wages. Yeah, he might have had a little touch in the Championship when we went up, but uh, he's been a hard-working, lower-class footballer who's now having to be a hard-working at a at a lower standard football club as a manager, and that has to keep his wife and his two children going and himself. So he knows. What the business is, he has, you know, he's not all of a sudden going to... Listen, David Ortel can't find a job, can't get a job. And once you're out certain players or certain people, they don't all get back in. So let's see how he goes. Let's stay behind him for the rest of the nine games. I know we haven't got many at home, but you people will be on your travels anyway and watch them and see what you can do. I know it's been a horrible journey this season. None of us have enjoyed it. But it could be worse. We could be Rochdale, Hartlepool. Who's the other one? Well, just on that, before you go, the one last one from me. Um, you've kind of alluded to it, but I spent yesterday afternoon following the results and the, the gap was closed <laughs> by a point. Are we safe yet, Graham? No. Never think we're safe till we're mathematically safe. No, we're not. It's a, it, it will be a disaster. Now... There's an interesting uh, one answer coming now. What Alex has just put that question to about how long he's got. If there was a disaster between now and the end of the season, I think we might be looking for a new manager then. But I don't see a disaster. I see it's good enough to get some wins. I know we've only got a few games at home, but uh, and I know the away record's been shocking, but uh, I still believe that we can get enough points to make it mathematically safe as we get around the Easter period. That's that's how I feel. But don't let's take it for granted. Whatever we do, yeah, Rochdale now looks sunk. That was a horrible result for them yeah. against Crawley. But they look as though it's the end for them. But who's the other one? There's a bit of fight going on at the moment with one or two getting points on the board. So come on, crew, get some wins and make it a little bit better going into the summer for your loyal supporters. Graham. Uh, pleasure to have you on the pod once again. Thank you very much for your time. Um, and hopefully have you back again at some point in the future. Yeah, enjoyed it. Keep up the good work. Uh, we're hopefully be out and about again next season. All, all be well. And like when we start, I appreciate those uh, comments because uh, they do mean a lot. You know, at the end of the day, we're trying to give the service right. Sometimes we don't get it right. Sometimes we shout goal before it goes in the back of the net. But <laughs> that's all part and parcel of the game. Keep you on your toes. Thank you. Cheers, Graham. Thanks a lot. Okay, uh, next up for crew is a visit to the Keepwell Stadium. Not normally a happy hunting ground. 
And of course, still fresh in our memories are those two epic games last season, one of which was El Crapico, possibly the worst ever 1-1 draw ever seen, and of course, the 2-0 defeat that finally saw the end of Dave Artel's doomed reign um, in last season's fixture at the Keepmo. Um, Aaron, they sit slap bang in the middle of the table. What are your thoughts on uh, the impending clash? Um, uh, yeah, it's a tough one. I'm not very hopeful, to be honest. I, I still feel like we're, they're not, we're, we're not quite catching them late enough for them to be on the beach. Um, so yeah, I'm not, I'm not too hopeful. I think is my general outcome outlook on this one. I shall come back to you for a prediction in a moment. Alex, Doncaster away. Ugh. I mean, I'm going. So I'm an idiot. Um, Doncaster away. Well, I read something that they a couple of their players are out for the season. And based on the comments I saw below the tweet, I believe they were quite important. And uh, the uh, the general consensus was end the season now from Doncaster fans. One that we, I share similar sentiments. I think it will be another poor quality League Two football match. Um, and hopefully we can end up the right side of the result. But I'm not I'm not holding much hope for that. Four four away games on the trot, by the way. I'd love to know the last time we've had a run like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mark, what's your prediction for Saturday? I'm going to go with a, a very similar performance to that terrible 1-1 draw last season and uh, with the same result. Aaron, you've already said you feel quite negative about it. What do you reckon the score will be? I'm going to go 1-0 loss. Alex? Who cares? Um <laughs> That's the spirit. <laughs> uh, one each. Super. Looks like we're set to continue our uh, run of absolutely classic matches against Doncaster Rovers. Let's hope it adds to the two we had last year. Okay, um, that's probably us for today. The pod will be back next Monday, usual time, to look back at the Doncaster game. But for today, to the panel, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you. Thanks, Steve. Thank you very much, Steve. Thank you very much for listening. And until next time, goodbye. Bomb, 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 bomb